Um, Scott, why don't you come on up? You can pray for us and review through our disciplines. It is great again to see so many guys here. That is really, really good. You have your notebook, turn to the back side of it and um, get ready. Let's pray and let's pray for the guys in PNG. Um, one of the things to remember about the team in PNG is um, this flight delay is not like most flight delays that we experience. There are um, nine little people that need to be transported around, and they have a lot of luggage um, with them right now. And so moving that all around from one plane to another and getting it onto these smaller planes that they're going to be taking now is more of a challenge. Um, so let's just entrust all of that to the Lord. Um, there's a lot going on there, and, and uh, no small task for us, but simple task for the one who controls all things. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. It is a privilege to gather together as a group of people who have been rescued into the body of Christ. Thank you so much for doing that for us. Lord, it's so good for us to remember, first and foremost, that you are the creator God and that we are the recipients of your grace. Lord, thank you for this privilege of meeting together and the privilege of sharing together. Lord, I pray that all of our time today might be might be useful and might be honoring to you, useful to us, so that we would grow into ones who can make more of you throughout our day. Lord, I pray for Team PNG. Lord, there are six adults and there are nine kids. And um, Lord, you know exactly how that group of people is going to get to Madang. You know how they're going to get there and you are committed to your process in getting them there. And I pray that you would be pleased to do that in a way that is is easy for them. Lord, I pray for the flight that is going to be there. I pray that they would be able to get all of their luggage on the flight. I pray that you would enable the flight to leave on time and for them to land on time. And I pray for their transport from the airport to where they will be staying. Lord, that that would be without event. That would be a place of rest for them. Lord, I pray for the immediate issues of finding food and finding other things, that you would enable them to do that well. Lord, you would enable them to do that in, in a way that promotes unity and peace within the group. I pray for them, Lord, as they are going to set foot on the land that they will be in, Lord willing, for a long time, that you would enable their first steps there and their first hours there to be pleasing to you and to be a process that sets them forth well to what is in front of them. I pray for us, Lord, as we sit here this morning. Lord, would you soften our hearts? Would you prepare us for interacting with one another and for listening to Tom? Lord, that we would be ready to hear from him. And I pray for Tom that you would just be preparing him even now with your spirit to minister to us. Lord, you are fully capable of doing all of these things. Lord, they're all for your pleasure and for your glory. So we pray it in your son's name. Amen. All right. All right. Thanks again for being here. We are going to walk through the build disciplines. And what I'm going to do today is talk about briefly what it means to shepherd your heart for discipline one, and then give examples of the way in which that is a benefit to you in disciplines two through six. So let's just think for a minute about what it means to shepherd our heart. Um, to shepherd your heart means to meet with the Lord. It means to have meaningful interaction with the Lord at a heart level. It means to 
be receiving from God what God has for you to learn about Him through the reading of His Word. And it means for you to be communicating back to God what you are learning about yourself, what you're learning about Him, what you're seeing in yourself. It means reading His Word and thinking about how it relates to your life and how it speaks into your life. It means asking God for wisdom to actually interact well with that Word. Um, It means reading carefully, reading thankfully, reading joyfully in the Word. It means when you're talking with God, you're reminding yourself of how it is that you got to where you are, that God is the Creator God, and, and He's different from everybody else because He's the Creator and everything else is created. It means remembering that He had a design for you. If you are a believer, that you would be holy and you would be blameless before Him. And that before the foundations of the world, he made that decision. It means remembering that you were born into a condition where your nature was to run away from God, and your nature was to depart from him in every way and rule your own life, and to remind yourself that God intervened in your life by dispatching his Holy Spirit into you and pouring into you affections that you never had for him, that were not part of your life before he made a radical change in you means reminding yourself that you have the ability now to walk in a newness of life because of the resurrection of your Savior from the dead. And it means pleading to God with all that is in you for the grace that you need to actually do that on a daily basis. And so when a person does that, they're, they're shepherding their heart well. And so they, they get up from their time in prayer and they, they step out of their bedroom or their back porch or their kitchen table or wherever, and they they run right into their family. And our second discipline is our home. And if you're a man who who is a single man and you have a well-shepherded heart, you are ready to interact with your roommates in a way that is honoring to the Lord. As it relates to the way that you share things together, as it relates to the way in which you divide costs between yourselves, as it relates to the way in which you care for a home that you might be renting or an apartment that you might be renting, You are well-equipped to do that in a way that brings glory and honor to God, that puts God on display, um, because your first thoughts are not for yourself. Your first thoughts are for God's glory, because you've reminded yourself of that when you met with him that morning. If you're a man who's married, and you have a wife, and you know that you should be leading your wife, your desire to do that is so much more genuine when you've already met with the Lord. And so when you sit down to pray with your wife, you are praying with your wife because you desire to be one and you want to be one. You want your marriage to be a representation of the Godhood in which you're both living in a self-sacrificing way, in a way that is full of completely different roles, but spiritual equality. And you want to do that and you eagerly desire to do that. You are ready to do that. If you're a man who has children living with you in your home and you have things that you need to talk to them about, Um, You are ready to do that for their good if you've already shepherded your heart. You're ready to do that to help them see Jesus as their Savior. If they're a believing child, and you're, you're able to help them walk in newness of life. If they're not a believing child, you have the, the opportunity to show them with a winsome nature why they need a Savior and how their behavior demonstrates that they need a Savior. You're just so much more ready to do that. So that's our second discipline. And our third discipline is ministry ministry here at this church, when you've met with the Lord and you have spent time reading about his goodness and his greatness, and you have spent time confessing your sin and pleading with God for the grace that you need 
to walk in a newness of life, you are ready to bring that message to the people that you minister to. Whether it's on the setup and teardown team and you serve with the joy because you, you see the cross of Christ in front of you, or whether it's in Next Generation Ministries and you are holding infants who don't understand the English language yet, um, or whether you're speaking to seven or eight-year-olds every Sunday or every third or fourth Sunday, um, you are ready to share with them what is happening in your life because you have met with the Lord. So you are ready to serve. Um, If you're a small group leader and you're meeting with people every week and you're covering core questions or you're getting a study guide ready, like I'm trying to do, or if you're actually leading that small group through a study guide or a discussion or a book or a letter in the New Testament, you're ready to do that with what God is doing in you. You're not doing that in a way that's task-oriented and task-driven. And so um, preparing your heart with meeting with him is so important to ministry here at this church. The fourth discipline is the qualification of a young man or an older man for the deacon ministry. We want every man in this church to be qualified to serve as as deacons in this church because we don't know what our needs are going to be like when we actually get into that building. We might need 10 more deacons in, in different areas. And the guy who shepherds his heart is a man who has been confessing his sin. He's a man who's been putting before him the cross of Christ. And the function of that and the result of that is that he already is becoming a man who's not double-tongued. He's becoming a man who finds his joy and his satisfaction in Christ, not in much wine or much other addictive things. He's finding his, his joy in leading his wife in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord. So he's becoming a better and better manager of his own home. So shepherding your heart on a very consistent, hopefully daily basis, has great bearing on your readiness to be called into deacon ministry. Um, You're a well-qualified man to move into deacon service in this church or any church when you shepherd your heart daily in prayer and in the word. Our fifth discipline is the hermeneutic. And if there's a place where you need to shepherd your heart, it's in your study. Scott mentioned that he has his Bible open every day as part of his job, and he does. You come in and you meet with him, and he takes his Bible and he sets it aside. It's already been open. Um, there is a tendency for, for the truth of God to become academic for us. Um, we learn about all these theologies. We learn about all of these, these doctrines. It's really great. It's so good to understand these things well, to understand the doctrine of sin, to understand the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of salvation, many, many other doctrines. There's such good things to know, and they help us in our walk with the Lord. But if we aren't meeting with the Lord regularly and thanking him for those things, speaking about those things to the Lord and how they relate to us, they're just facts in our head. They don't help us lead well in our homes. They don't sharpen us rightly. We use those those knowledge bases. We use those things in a way that's dishonoring to the Lord if, if we're not men who shepherd our hearts regularly and remind ourselves of our need for a Savior first and foremost. And our last discipline is the vision and the purpose of this church. If you're a guy who meets with the Lord regularly and you're reminding yourself in prayer of the glory of God and you're reading in the word on a regular basis of the glory of God, you show up at this church and you are ready to participate in that. You're ready to whatever we do here, whether it's Sunday morning or any other thing like this, it's already in your mind and in your heart to be doing this for the glory of God. 
If you're meeting with the Lord regularly and you're confessing your sin as a part of that sin, you're remembering what Christ has done for you at the cross, it is the most natural thing for you to make much of the cross of Christ as we meet here together. It's going to come up in your conversation. It's going to make your worship that much more meaningful and much more genuine before the Lord. If you're in the New Testament and you're reading a chapter like Romans 8, where you see the the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit so clearly, you are ready to live out a transformed life as we, we gather together like this in a body. And the guy who does that is the guy who's ready to draw others in. He's ready to build them up, and he's ready to send them out for the same things. So those are our disciplines. Those are things that we have in front of us. We want to never lose sight of those because those are the things that help us be effective for the Lord. So let's keep those in front of us. All right, so we're going to meet in small groups. We're going to meet in our same place, same location. My group's over here. Everybody else, you know where you are. And as you're uh, getting back to your seat, and before I let Tom take over uh, for the remaining time together, just want to remind you that um, Tuesday from about 12 o'clock on, uh, we made this announcement earlier, that's when we need to load the shipping container for Team PNG. Uh, if you have any availability from 12 on uh, in the afternoon till probably 3.30 or so, uh, we would take any time that you can give, any time in there uh, to load up. And you want to see George in the back before you leave, or on the side over there, that's George. He will get your contact info and give you more information as we get it. Uh, the shipping container is at 7440 South, is it South Priest? Yeah. South Priest. That's our, that's the church building. Uh, it's in the back. We just need to load up that shipping container as fast as we can because we get it for two hours and then we have to pay for it every hour beyond that. It takes to load it. We need a trail of ants running stuff back and forth. We need guys in there who can stack it tight and neat and orderly. Uh, and all that good stuff. So uh, make sure you see George before you leave today. If you're able to do that, we'll announce it tomorrow at church as well and be sending out some emails. So, uh, yeah, that'd be great if you can help. Yes. Scott, hi. <laughs> uh, are we going to need things like dollies? The answer is no. No. We have a couple. I'll bring some. But, yeah, I we're going to have if you have something you want to bring in, you're bringing some stuff. You're, oh, you're, that's, yeah, there'll be some stuff that will there'll take care of for you. And some other, you know, so mostly just strength and stuff like Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Tom, it's all yours. All right. It's great being with you guys. I, uh, if you can't hear, hear me, I got something going on. If you can't hear me in the back, raise your hand and I will speak louder. I was thankful there was water, but it kind of reminded me of, uh, of a story of Next Generation. Uh, when a four-year-old was in her class and they surf in fear next gen, uh, they, little goldfish, crackers, water, and she takes a drink of the water and she goes, is that chamber water? <laughs> so I was thinking, yeah, this is pretty good tasting water, but if you can't hear me, just raise your hand and, and don't judge me. Golly, you know what I'm talking about. But if you can't, just raise your hand and I will. Can you hear me okay so far? Okay. 
Good. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Bill is in the 11th year. This is the first year that I finally graduated. Uh, this is the first year I haven't done build. It is really a blessing to come back uh, and be with you guys. And I really look forward to even next year coming back and, and sitting in the chairs there. Uh, but it's interesting. As I was thinking about it, in 11 years, this, this ministry has not changed much. Uh, who was here in the first class 11 years ago? I know there's a few here. Yeah, there's a few. Okay. Uh, what, what's interesting is the only thing, the, the core of this, the, the foundation of this ministry of how we desire to equip men has not changed. Of the disciplines, there's only one discipline that's changed, and that was when H3 started, that we changed Discipline 5 to the hermeneutic. Prior to that, it was uh, biblical theological. It would be a, a catch-all to bring up topics that were biblical and theological and practical. And uh, it's kind of interesting how this ministry evolved. The first two years, it was guys only. The first year, there were even guys that came in their pajamas, which we've really evolved, haven't we? Uh, The third year of Bill, it was men and women together. And we, uh, that year, I think we had four teachers that taught on a regular rotation. And uh, evidently the guys didn't like it with the women, so it went back in the fifth year to, to guys only until Wellspring started five years ago, which I know many of your wives are part of uh, that ministry. But the thing of it is here, and I realize... Some of you might say, that's a bunch of useful information. I like to think I like trivia. But uh, the bottom line is, the core of this ministry has just never changed. The discipline that we want to see each of us grow in is just as important today as it was back in 2004. The first time that uh, Build came into the church as a ministry. I realize that this lesson uh, is being categorized as D1, the heart, but my hope, hope is the reality is that you will see it to be practical for how you minister in your home, how perhaps you minister just with people that you come into contact with, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe in your small group. I, I pray that this will be something that you see just many parallel tracks of how this can impact your not just your own heart, but even your ministry as you care for the people around you. The topic that I'm going to talk about today is shepherding my heart. There's going to be times where I might say shepherding your heart, but I want you I'm using it very interchangeably. Shepherd your heart, shepherd my heart. And what I'm talking about is both the time that we spend with our Bibles open, as well as how we shepherd our heart once our Bible has closed. You know, Scripture has an expectation that you will be the type of man that will care well for your heart. Scripture has an expectation you're going to care well for the people around you. As the build disciplines imply, until you've cared well for your soul, 
you can't care well for others that God may bring into your proximity, whether it be at home, whether it be, uh, like I said, school or work. I would want you to know, I have prayed that whatever comes out of my mouth today would be something that is practical and, and helpful for you in your pursuit of the Lord. You should have five pieces of paper. Two of them will have circles. And I don't know if she did front or back, but you should have either one two-sided or two, two pieces of paper that you could uh, write chicken scratch on. And then you should have one more that has a quote that says, uh, you talk to yourself. All right. Well, let me tell you why I want to bring this particular message to you. This message comes from, from years of evaluating my own heart, from years of being a biblical counselor, years of sitting at Starbucks talking to other Christians. And, and it, it's interesting that this, what is the nuts and bolts of what I'm going to say, uh, basically got written on a napkin as Scott and I had coffee a few years ago at Paradise Bakery over at Ray in the, in the 10. And uh, Scott then took the artwork and the circles you have. Scott developed that. But this just came from a conversation of two guys talking about sanctification in our own lives. Uh, in, in what we have seen, what I have seen, is a pattern where we could have a great desire, a, a really good moral desire that we have the ability to change that desire into something that we think we deserve as well as something that we think we de- we then end up demanding that I must have it. Again, you know, some of these desires that you may have can be start out as a really good desire. It could be a desire that you want to have a wife got a wife, maybe you desire to have a godly wife. Could be education. It, it's good to go to school. It's good to get an education. It may be to have a car. For some, it might be a car that runs. It could be money. It could be job. It could be a promotion at work. It could be to have active ministry. Maybe it's a particular ministry. Maybe you're in ministry and you, you think you want another ministry. Could be appearances. It could be, it could be friends that you have. There, there are numerous things that we desire as men. And, and it would be women as well. That, that in themselves, the desire is okay. But what happens is when we have the ability to take a good desire and think that we deserve it, it's when things don't go as planned, when things just aren't the way we hoped. What happens in the midst of that disappointment? What do we do? How do we care for our own hearts as as things just don't go the way you thought they would? I have seen... It start as a just a subtle complaint about the way things are to just being a full-on pursuit of sin. I, I, I'd be honest with you in saying I have seen it start as a complaint 
And it ended up as church discipline. Because it was a full-on pursuit of sin. So, we must be equipped with our hearts and our minds to just fight the battle that when we just have these thoughts and how we listen to ourselves. Let me uh, remind us, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 tells us that uh, we are to examine ourselves. And, and I, I pray that you would use this as just a, a regular routine of, of how you evaluate yourself. Paul tells the Corinthian church, he goes, check up on yourself. Be sure that you're in the faith. You know, and I don't want you to think, wow, you know, Tom must have it all figured out. He's standing up here telling us about this. Guys, you never graduate from this. Uh, I have to care for my heart daily in the midst of disappointments of life. And you do too. So I'm going to take you, let's go to the handout. And I'm going to start by asking you a question that is on your handout. And uh, it's one, it says, shepherding my heart when my Bible is open. I want you to take a minute and write out, why do you read the Bible? What what are the reasons why you, whatever time of day you may pick up the Bible and read, what are the reasons that you do it? It may seem like, kind of like a, Tom, that's a really dumb question. Here we are at Bilb and... You know, it's a bunch of guys from church and you're asking me why I read the Bible. I tell you what, if you have not already answered this question, if you have not acknowledged this question before going to the Word of God, you stand a very good chance of missing many blessings from the Word of God. You know, just a little side note, I having, and I know some of you have kids, some of you have grandkids, uh, I know I became a Christian at 32 years old. And there were several years where I really was not encouraged to be in God's Word. I, I have talked to many men in our church who they have never been so challenged in their lives as to something like Bill to be in God's Word. Uh, I sit with my grandkids, and whenever I have the opportunity, it's regularly where I get to read Scripture with them. It always starts with, why do we read the Word of God? We need to know why we go. I need to inform my brain, I need to inform my heart, why am I here today? I need to, and, and guys, you with kids at home, when you read with your kids, ask them. Why are we reading God's Word? Because if we don't answer it, okay, don't judge me, but you know what it's like when you can read a chapter of Scripture and you say, wow, what did I just read? I am more prone to do that when I have not informed my brain and my heart why I'm there. And, and guys, I would just ask as you share with your kids and people in your home, inform them that they don't grow up like me where I was well in my 30s before I realized why I read 
God's word and that I need to be reading God's word. But for on your handouts, there's some reasons why there's some, I want you to have in mind why we go to God's word. That we would grow in our knowledge of God. We would grow in expressing our love for God as well as to God. We would grow in our enjoyment or our delight in God. Yeah, it's interesting. I it was a few months ago. I was reading Psalm one nineteen. I was preparing to teach at a biblical counseling conference, and uh, I came across verse chapter one nine Psalm one nineteen verse eighteen verse twenty seven, and, and it talks about God being wonderful. And I stopped and I thought, if God's wonderful, it should leave me to just be in awe of wondering. I got to 27 and it talked about God being an amazing God. And I stopped it. And I, I spent 15 minutes here thinking about, am I amazed with God? Guys, if I don't inform my brain with why I want to be at God's word, the enjoyment, the delight of being with God, near God, and just being close to Him, I will miss that I should be a man that is amazed at who God is and God's goodness to us. Fourth, you grow in your fear of God. He is the one that has the power to send us to hell to give us eternal life, to grow in our understanding of our need for God, grow in my relationship with God. And the primary purpose is that we would just grow in holiness of life. Man, if you don't go to the Word of God with, with talking to yourself, telling, reminding yourself why you're there at the well why why you're there guys you stand the chance of missing many blessings that will prepare you for the remainder of your day i you know i don't think i'm unlike others and i know i've had others tell me hey my my struggle with sin isn't while i'm sitting there having a cup of coffee and reading my the bible my struggle with sin is when i get out into the world guys you're no different you, if you need to be preparing your heart and your mind for the battle that you're going to face. Uh, I hope the, the time that we spend together through the, going through these circles will help you better understand and recognize sin in your own life, understand where you're prone to sin, uh, some, of the, some of the snares of sin. Although so far everything I've basically talked about has been about shepherding your heart with your Bible open. I want to now direct our focus to shepherding our heart in, or the need for shepherding our heart when the Bible is closed all day long as we go through the day once the Bible is closed. Uh, and again, I can't say it strong enough. If you have failed to ask yourself why I read the Bible... You're not ready for the day of how to shepherd your heart once the Bible is closed.
Okay, the second point on your outline says shepherding my heart throughout the day. It's listening to myself and my thoughts, reasonings. And it's the diagram one. Your two circles, one is a gray scale and one is a blue scale. Uh, just so you don't get really trapped here. The gray one's the wrong way, the blue way's the right way. So we're going to go through the wrong way first. But before we do that, I came across this quote about uh, a month ago. And it's from Paul uh, Paul Tripp. And I realized my voice is uh, not up to speed, but I, I'm going to read it. Please read with me. You talk to yourself. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. People laugh at that statement, but I'm really quite serious. You're in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul Every minute, every day, you interpret, you organize, you analyze what's going on inside and outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past. You talk to yourself about the future. You talk to yourself about what you're experiencing in the present. Obviously, this is an internal conversation. I'm sorry, internal conversation. If you had this conversation out loud, they would probably put you into a ward. But that's why it's so dangerous. You often don't even realize that you're saying things to yourself, but you are. You're saying things to you that will shape your desires, your actions, and your theology. What you are saying to you about God and your circumstances. Do your words stimulate faith, hope, and courage? Or does your talk stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near? Or do you reason with yourself that, given your circumstances, He must be distant? Here's the question. How wholesome, faith-driven, Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward Him in the moments when you feel like running from Him? One more, I'm sorry, no more. Boy, read the words on the page, Tom. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. What will you say to you today? God bless Paul David Tripp. And I do pray that God would bless Paul Tripp. I I don't know if you're aware of it. He's been sick for about two months. And uh, everything in his life has been canceled. So he is a... He is a dear brother in the faith. He has done a lot for the good of uh, sanctification. I, I know I am praying for him, and I would just, if, if Paul Tripp has affected your life as he is mine, I, I would ask that you would be praying for him if you were not aware that I have no clue what is up, but uh, he is uh, home and he is not in ministry at the moment. But the, but the point is this. We talk to ourselves all day long. We analyze everything. So here we go in the grayscale circle. It's the I 
desire, I deserve, I demand. And we need to start with thinking biblically about what it is that you desire. Does your desire, does it fit into loving others? You know, 1 Peter 1.22, we're called to love others. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and others, and to love others as you love yourself. Are your desires in line with your love for other people? People maybe that you live with, maybe your spouse, maybe roommates. Are your desires in line with a longing to be with the Lord? That this has good eternal consequences. 2 Corinthians 5.9 Do your desires, are, are they, as we're instructed in, in 2 Corinthians 5.9, to make it our aim, to make it our goal to be pleasing to the Lord? Are your desires fitting to Ephesians 1.4 that we'd be holy and blameless and in His sight? Hebrews 13.21 To be pleasing in His sight. Do your desires line up with the eternal perspective? But what I might, back to your handout, what I might hear myself tell myself throughout the day concerning these desires. We may hear ourselves telling ourselves that what I desire, I really deserve. And I can even begin to demand that desire when I don't get it. And guys, like I said earlier, it, it could be so subtle. On, on your circle, it could start out with just being wise in your own estimation. You think you know what's best. Second Timothy 3.2, this, this is horrible. We could be a lover of self, or just selfish. We could be boastful, proud, ungrateful, unholy. We're without self-control. And as we are in the process of taking what we desire and thinking we deserve something and making it a demand, we, we grumble. Guys, my besetting sin, and praise God that He is faithful to complete the work. I'm, I am a grumbler. I, I am a complainer. I, I can immediately take my thoughts to why this isn't the best way to do it. And some of you may know me and say, gosh, I never see that. Well, that's only God's grace in my life because believe me, that is who I am in my flesh. Uh, we become complaining. We complain about others. And then what you see going on here in the circle is you, you've given yourself a disappointment because things aren't going as you think they should go and, and Scott coined this, the, a red flag. The first red flag is when you sense disappointment in your life. And it goes on. It, it's bitterness. You become embittered towards others. You know, Hebrews 3, 12, 15 says there's three consequences to, to bitterness. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up, causes trouble, and defiles many. When, when we allow that bitterness into our heart, we're, we're just asking just to be removed from God's grace. See to it, no one misses the grace of God. 
we become disputing, lover of self, selfish ambition, critical of others, and we are well on our way to the second red flag of discouragement. And when you get right here, guys, and I want to spend a little bit of time right here on this page, lover of self. Here it is, guys. When we get disappointed, when we get discouraged, when we have not shepherded our, our hearts with our Bibles open properly, now the Bible is closed, and now we want some pleasure. Because we want to be comfortable. Our flesh wants us to be comfortable. It, it, and that lover of pleasure can be seen in many different ways. It could be TV. It could be Internet. It, you know, if I'm going to say Internet, it could be pornography. It can be spending money. You watch people that are disappointed in their spending habits. That is when people typically spend money they don't have because they want comfort. And maybe you're like that. It's, I, I think it's what our American society is. It, it could be eating. It could be work. It could be excessive. You could be so driven and finding comfort, you'll you'll just work excessively. It could be a lack of work. You could be so lazy, you won't even get off the couch. It, it is life, any part of life that is in excess. It's because we want comfort. I, I don't want to face this, so I will choose to do this. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. Any excessive behavior. Guys, if you're looking at your life and if you are evaluating yourself, I urge you to look. Are there things that are just out of whack? Do you spend too much time away from home? Do, do you spend too much time in entertainment? I, I remember sitting with a guy who had a 40-hour-a-week job. Wait a second. Let's start. There's only 168 hours in a week. This guy had a 40-hour-a-week job. He had about an hour-and-a-half commute time five times a week. He was spending 25 to 30 hours a week playing video games. And he still slept. But my point is, that's excessive. But it's a lover of comfort. I, I want what's comfortable here. As you continue on in the circle... In the midst of your discouragement, you end up, you become envious of others. There's jealousy. You could be ungrateful, anxious. You know, why wouldn't you be anxious if you're not taking care of things for today? There, there's good reason to be anxious because you're being irresponsible. It could be anger. It could be vengeful. Overcome by evil. Prayerlessness. Guys, you can become absolutely prayerless because you're just focused on your comfort and you want to take care of this on your own devices, your own understanding. You're living without peace. You bite and devour one another. You become hopeless. Uh, there is no reason for a Christian to be hopeless. Hope has come. But this, this circle here, we can uncheck, we can swirl in it over and over and over again. And, and guys, 
the it can be start so subtly. I, I being honest about myself, I I can blow right past disappointment without even recognizing I am disappointed. I can be heading for discouragement before I have grabbed hold of my heart to realize that I am trying to reckon things on my own understanding. And if I'm like that, I'm going to guess some of you are just like me. And, and I, I just, when I say it, it's subtle, I, I think there's many people that are just very comfortable with being a complainer. You, you, it's such, such, so much of the fabric of your life, you're not even recognizing. You're shaking your fist at God's sovereignty. I think we can easily just not even be aware that we are grumbling and complaining. Do you get to the point of discouragement before you realize you've even, you're even in sin? Martin Lloyd-Jones, in preaching about spiritual depression, stated the problem we have is that we listen to ourselves when we should be speaking to ourselves. Lloyd-Jones did 22 sermons about spiritual depression, and a little old lady in his church shorthand, and and I'm going, this goes back before computers and recordings and all that good stuff. She shorthanded his 22 messages. After he preached the 22 messages, she presented it to Lloyd-Jones' wife, which became the book. It's 22 of his sermons on spiritual depression that, that he preached to his church. But he sums it up. He goes, the problem we have here is you're listening to yourself when you should be talking to yourself. And here's the point again. It's We are telling ourselves what we desire is something that we think we really deserve to the point that we really demand it. The, the diagram is a sin pattern that starts with a failure to properly shepherd your heart. Before I move on to the second diagram, any questions about the gray one? You guys are way too easy. Yes, Scott. A, a great question, guys. This is all of us today, right now, are somewhere on the, in some area of your life. We're on this diagram somewhere. Um, you'll always be on this in this life. A great question to ask yourself. Um, you can just ask yourself, am I disappointed right now? What am I disappointed about? That might be a, a clue to help you get back to a very beginning where Tom's going to go next in terms of your desires. Um, but another good question to, to maybe write down over on the left hand side is um, what, what do you want? What do I want that I'm not getting? Hmm. What do I want that I'm not getting? That's a great indication of what might be going on inside of you. And, Good. We'll be caring for each other well. Denny. So, just uh, briefly, what is it? Uh, what does it look like to talk to yourself? Ah, 
That's where we're going next. And that's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time. Uh, yes. Uh, what does it look like to talk to yourself? And that, that is what we're going to talk about. You know, guys, this is kind of an, it's just a confession. I am, I am an efficiency expert. I, I can go anywhere and I can see what's wrong with customer service. Anywhere I go, I go to the post office. I'll tell you what, if they put me in charge, they'd be making money. Chop, chop. I mean, I, I, I have to guard myself when I go to the post office. Traffic? My. Everything that we face in our society is tugging at our heart that it should be different. Why do I get on the freeway at rush hour and there's cars there? Didn't they know I was coming? Uh, guys, I have to guard myself, my heart, the moment I close my Bible. And I think you do too. But let's go to, uh, back to the handout. And it's the I desire, what I truly deserve. What do you deserve? And I relinquish my perceived rights. There's no demands. Fortunately, there is good news, so here we go. What I must tell myself when my Bible is no longer open throughout the day about what I truly deserve. Just a few, a few verses, a few proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 16, 1 and 2. To man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Your responsibility is always subject to God's sovereignty. And we can be very self-deceived, but God determines our motive. Proverbs 16, 9, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Do you believe that? Do you, do you really believe that the Lord determines your steps? Do you really believe that the Lord knows what he has for you at this afternoon, Proverbs twenty-one two: All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. I know I'm going fast, but keep up with me. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. The fool perishes because the object of his trust can't save him. The object of the fool is in himself. For, for us, the object of our trust is that the Lord knows what's best for us. James 4, 4.13 Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. This is not a condemnation about planning, but it's planning that leaves God out. And the second point, what must I tell myself throughout the day concerning what I truly desire, what I truly deserve? Let's, let's go look at a few verses. Uh, Romans 2, 5 and 6. 
Paul instructs us in Romans 2, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, God will give to each person according to what He has done. Paul's telling us we deserve wrath. We We deserve God's wrath. Romans 5, 6 through 12. Go there and we'll read that. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Praise God. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, since we have now been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved through Him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will He will we be saved by His life? Verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through Him. Therefore, as just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. God's Word tells us what we deserve is death. This is a pretty good day. Waking up and looking in the mirror, this is a really good day. Romans 6.23 I know you know this. For the wages of sin is death, but a gift from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, Scripture tells us what we deserve is death. God's Word tells us we deserve death. The worst day on earth is better than what we deserve. In the midst of disappointment, in the midst of things not going my way, in the midst of poor customer service at the post office, we don't have any working for the post office here, do we? I'm so sorry. But in the midst of it, this is better than what I deserve. Point three on your outline. What I must tell myself throughout the day concerning my perceived rights. And it's uh, the poster of this in Paul's life is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And this is Paul being uh, autobiographical about his life. The, The first six verses talk about his Damascus road experience of being taken up to the third heaven or whatever, face to face with, with the Savior. And then he goes, start, turns in verse 7, and he's talking about that three times he's pled with the Lord to take something away. But Jesus' answer is, my, my grace is sufficient. Paul was a man that could take, if anybody had a right, Face it, it's Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. 
if anybody had a right, I would, I would, in my human brain, think Paul's the man. But the Lord tells Paul, Paul, my, my grace is sufficient for you. And he says that he's made strong in his weakness. Guys, for us as well, we need to set aside our perceived rights. I'm sure there's things that you have prayed about numerous times that maybe just haven't come to fruition. That's not cause for, for disappointment. That, that's cause for us to rely on God's grace. It's sufficient for us for today. And here, here's what it looks like on the circle. And, and if you were comparing the two, and you don't need to, but if you're comparing the two, it starts with, if the Lord wills. It's trusting. God knows what's best. I have a plan, but God has another plan. Love does not seek his own. Not wise in my own estimation. There's humility of knowing this is, this is what the Lord has. If there is disappointment, it can be short-lived because we're trusting in the Lord. There's patience. There, there's thankfulness. There's forgiving others. There's being gentle and kind. It's being loving. Here you are, utterly dependent on the Lord. Things aren't going the way you thought they were. But you're going throughout your day, your Bible is closed, you've shepherded your heart, and you can say, God, I'm dependent on you. And the amazing thing, that that's exactly where he wants us to be. Dependent on him. There could be contentment, need strength, need endurance or self-control. You can be joyful. You, in, instead of being despaired that you saw on, on the grayscale, you're hopeful. You're not vengeful. You're devoted to prayer. You're peaceable. You overcome evil with good. And, and guys, some days you have to continue to talk to yourself and say, God, if this is what you have for me, I can endure this. This is okay. When we talk to ourselves, we remind ourselves of what we really deserve. My disappointment can be short-lived because I know Scripture tells me I deserve hell. I deserve death. I deserve God's wrath. This is a good day. Let me talk about, because what you see on this circle is, is much of what God's Spirit working in us should produce the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I think there's two reasons why people don't change. I think uh, some people don't change because they don't want to change. And I think the rest of people don't change because they don't know what change is. Uh -huh. And I hope what I communicate now would be that you would have an understanding and an expectation of what the Holy Spirit should look like in the life of a believer. Why don't you guys open your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 5.
verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's start with love. Love is a biblical action. Biblical love is an action. This particular love, there's four words that got translated to the English language love, and this is the agape love. This is the same love that our God in heaven sent his son to, to be the payment, the propitiation of our sin. It's agape love. It's a selfless love. It's a dying to self love. As Christians, we are called to die to self. We are called to set aside what we want for others. Joy. Guys, it is so easy to be entrapped with thinking that if our circumstances change, I will be joyful. Biblical joy is in Scripture, always tied to the reality of your position with the Lord. Seventy times in Scripture, you'll find in the New Testament the word joy. And because I don't want to say 100% of the time, but I'll say 99.9999% of the time, it is always based on the reality of your spiritual condition with the Lord. If you are looking for joy in work, if you're looking for joy in a spouse, and joy in having a spouse, there's no joy there. That, that's a counterfeit joy. Joy for, for us as believers is knowing our relationship with the Lord. Peace. This is an interesting one. I think if you did an exit poll and ask people what peace was, I'm sure today you'd probably hear Ferguson. Uh, You'd hear the Middle East, all our troops coming home. Uh, Biblical peace. Almost every time you see the word peace in the New Testament, it tells you where it comes from. It doesn't come from circumstances on this earth that we live on, but it tells you that peace comes from God the Father, His Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting, and this really hit me like a ton of bricks a few years ago. I was reading the Gospel of John in in chapter 14, and this is shortly before uh, Jesus goes to His death at Calvary. But in 1427, Jesus says, My peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And when I read it, I stopped and I said, "Ah, but I'm not really feeling any peace right now. And I was truly looking for my peace in something else other than the Lord. And what I was looking for my peace in was a good thing. But I I had set aside the Lord for, for my source of peace into circumstances in my life changing. This is kind of like Jesus' last will and testament. This is right before he goes to die. Think of it this way. If your mom and dad have a will and it says, upon our death, you receive $100, if they're alive today, this $100 is not yours today. Jesus had to die for us to have peace. Praise God. 
In the same way, on the death of your parents, that $100 is now yours. You can go do what you want. In the same way, Jesus had to die that we would have peace. But so often in life, we go looking for our peace in circumstances and in other people. That was never the way God designed it. And, and guys, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'm being honest with you. Because I was an elder for several years before I really grabbed hold of the reality of my sin of looking for peace in other things. Patience. You know, when you think about patience, and, and maybe you're prone not to be a patient person, it's an area where I continue to need growth. I need to remember how patient the Lord is with me. I, I need to remember how patient He is in His long-suffering with me as a sinner. Kindness. You know, I think kindness is another word that we, we just take our English language dictionary and think we understand it. But guys, almost every time you see the word kindness in the New Testament, if you read the near context, it's repentance is what's going on. It's a picture of Romans 2.4 that it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. God has allowed us to be instruments of kindness. Think about this. About in the midst of things not going your way, you being kind. Think about the people that you live with. Your kindness in the midst of a disappointment could be leading somebody to repentance. God has given us an incredible relationship with Him to be His instrument of kindness. And, you know, I think the English language is just a language that we are just misinformed of what God desires in the midst of kindness. Goodness. It's a form of worship. It's doing what is right. It's not a means of getting to heaven. But it's, it's righteousness, it's living good because of the reality of your salvation. Faithfulness. Are you loyal? Are you trustworthy? In the midst of your disappointment and discouragement, are you a faithful, trustworthy person? Gentleness. This is another another weird word in the English language. If I asked you, what does it mean to be gentle? I'm sure I'd hear things like, you talk with a really soft voice, or you just come up and you pat people. It's a weird word. What, what does biblical gentleness look like? If you watch TV, somebody told me, could I, no. But if you watch the Charmin commercial, toilet paper is supposed to be gentle. Is that what... Is that what Scripture wants? No. Here's what it is to be gentle as a Christian. It's the picture of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 5. It says, blessed is the meek. Some say blessed is the gentle. Uh, They will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what it is to be gentle. In the midst of all this going on in my world, I can sit back and just say, God, I trust you. God, I know you are in control of today. 
And in the midst of disappointment, in the first circle we went through, guys, you have to guard yourself because gentleness does not come easy if you have not shepherded your heart. Uh, guys, we need to remind ourselves, we need to remi- remind each other. That's why it's important that we hang out with each other. It's why it's important that you're part of a small group, that there's a smaller group of people that can be in your, your life. Because here, the reality of it is, in the midst of the life that we live here on earth, sometimes it's just really hard to be gentle. And just saying, God, I know you're in control of this. It's okay. Self-control. It, self-control is the person's ability to have mastery over sin, over your own desires. You know, if you haven't been at Grace Bible Church a long time ago, I'd recommend going to uh, the website to a series through uh, Romans 6. There is an expectation for believers that we are, we have a new master. It's not our sin. It's the Lord. And if you have failed to shepherd your heart, you are more prone to not have self-control. You're more prone to the sinfulness and the sinful things of that come because we are lovers of pleasure. That when on that gray circle down there in the southwestern corner where it says lover of pleasure, guys, that, that's just not for a couple of people in this room. Every one of us has the ability in our flesh to be a lover of pleasure. And we must have self-control. Questions? Thoughts? Yes, Scott. Wow. Well, I knew a guy. No. <laughs> Gotta talk about myself. Uh, oh, golly. Uh, control. Uh, we get into situations in life where we may not like it and we want to have exercise some control. Uh, and I'll just, just a couple of the common ones. Uh, some people, let me look around the room. Okay. Some times we can try to take control of the situation by talking too much and not listening. Sometimes we could raise our voice because we want to put the other guy at guard where they're just going to maybe shy away. We can give people the silent treatment, which is equally as sinful as erupting. But there, there comes a time where it's like you're arm wrestling your wife. It's like you're arm wrestling your roommates or whoever you may be dealing with. You feel a need that you have to conquer this conversation. And uh, apart for, you know, maybe it being about a false gospel frequently it is so easy for us to sin because we have our, our little 
idol that we've made bump. You know, it's out of the overflow of the heart is what the mouth speaks. And sometimes in thinking that we want a pain-free, comfortable life or we just want everything to go our way or we think we have not shepherded our hearts well and we think that we deserve everything to go our way, uh, we will try to conquer our situations, which uh, some of you maybe think that sport of, of being in control by conquering the people around you, that's not what the Lord... That's, that's not being a kind person. That's not being a gentle person. Am I scratching anything close to what you were hoping I would, Scott? Yeah, but the idea that I, I want something, I'm not getting it. I'm really disappointed, I'm discouraged, I'm on the point of despair, and to get what it is that I want, if I have to control people, get them to do what I want, so I'll, I'll do that. And you know, each one of us has a, a different way of being a controller, but every one of us will be a controller. That, that's just part of the flesh of who we are. And, and guys, sometimes it is wonderful things we desire, but it's not what the Lord has for us. Maybe it's just going home and having peace and quiet, and maybe that's not what the Lord has. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of a, a few weeks ago in my life, uh, having a desire for a pain-free, comfortable life, and having a... Remember the day we got five inches of rain? I had a leaky roof at home, and I happened to have the pleasure of owning a commercial building with a brand-new septic tank, the whole septic tank disappeared. And everything in the septic tank, I mean, we're talking sinkhole. I, that, that was not what I wanted for the day. I, that, don't judge me. No, but, but it is baffling to think, where did everything go that was in the septic tank? I don't know. It's not there. But here, here's the thing. The Chandler water. Well, it was Phoenix water. For all I know, it's up at the airport because it's pretty close to the airport. But, but here's the thing. In the midst of things not going as I had hoped, thought, planned, I, I need to praise God. This is better than I deserve. I'm, you know, in being honest with you, the first thing, when that... Well, praise God for the roof. A dear brother came and took care of it. As for the septic tank, the first thing I thought of, I mean, I'm looking at a hole that is, it's huge. I mean, it's floor-to-sized sinkhole. And you know, what's the first thing you think of? The first thing I thought of is, where did everything go? The first thing I thought of is, man, this is going to be expensive. What the Lord had for me today, and it really wasn't as bad as I thought. But the the bottom line is, in the midst of this, of things not going my way, how is that going to affect my relationship with my wife? How is that going to affect the relationship with the elders I get to serve with? How how is that going to affect my next meeting of the day? When things haven't gone in a colossal way, not the way I planned. 
You know, in, in one way, in that situation, and it would have been a sinful way, uh, if I would have just completely shut down, canceled all my appointments for two weeks, and said, I just don't want to participate with life. Well, that's not, this is still better than what I deserve. Question, I saw another hand. Yeah, Tom. a great question. Uh, I'll tell you what, Tom, and I, and guys, you could debate me, and I'm just going to tell you, and we are broad brushing a topic that has many brushes and rollers that I, I first off, I am so keenly aware of 1 Timothy 1.15 where Paul said, this is a trustworthy statement. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And then Paul says, which I am chief. I, I go into any sort of... I truly desire to go into any sort of uh, uncomfortable situation recognizing that there's at least two sinners in the room, me and whoever else. I, I truly try to uh, be gracious. And for me, what that would look like is, I mean, if we want to get to a point of something, I will ask questions. I don't want to be directive of saying, you know, thus saith the Lord, you're in sin. I'd rather ask questions to where somebody, the words that come across their tongue and across their lips may convict them. So I would truly desire to show grace. But there's sometimes where you just flat have to tell somebody, listen, what you're doing here is sinful. But I would, I would never start with what you're doing here is sinful. I always start with recognizing I, I need to guard myself because I, I am capable of, uh, you know, you're talking about a spiritual thing to somebody. It's easy to become defensive. Yeah, I shared this with the women a few weeks ago. It was Friday. I remember I was having my first cup of coffee. And I was reading my Bible. It was a wonderful day. My wife sits down across from me, and she says, can we talk? And I said, yes. And she asked me a question. I gave her an answer. She asked me a second question. I gave her a second answer. And these questions all had kind of a thread going through them. She asked me a third question, and I gave her a third answer. And then she says to me, are you being defensive? Of course not. I'm not being defensive. 
And she goes, well, I asked you this, and you said this, and I asked you this, and you said this, and I asked you this, and you said this. Do you think that maybe you're being defensive? And again, I said, of course not. And then the Holy Spirit is now convicting me. Yeah, I was being defensive. But, but how she got to my heart wasn't that, let me show you how you're defensive. She came to me by asking me questions that the second time that it came across my lips, I'm not being defensive. It was like, oh, I'm being defensive. Yes. Now, let's start the conversation all over again and let's talk about it. But it, it was her coming to me gently. She came to me kindly that there would be repentance. Because the wrong way, my opinion, the wrong way, if she would have come just making accusation, I don't think I would have seen that. But her getting me to say the words, no, I'm not being defensive, I, was, I wasn't convicted by what she said to me. I was convicted by my own words. So, asking that about being a leader, I, I, I think that the best way to help somebody see something is to get them to say it. That it's their testimony about themselves, not my testimony about them. Is that helpful? It's a broad brush question, it really is. Without knowing in particular what you're talking about, because frequently the best leaders get behind and give a push and, and move somebody to what does godliness, what does holiness look like? Instead of me standing up front saying this is what holiness is, it, it's sometimes it, it's getting behind somebody and, and just encouraging them, just keep moving. And I, I typically. Personally, I don't lead from a thus saith the Lord. Uh, I, I truly find it best to lead people by allowing their own mind and their own heart to bring them conviction and helping them see maybe where uh, their desires are out of whack and what they think they deserve are out of whack. Uh, I, I hope that helps. I, th I think I understand your question, and I would say, put me at the 180 degrees on the other end of what your comment is. Doug. I think just to go to the one that I read, 1 Corinthians You know, Tom, just maybe go back to putting the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, I need to lead well by being a good example of somebody that is loving, that is somebody that is finding their joy in the reality of my salvation, 
by finding my peace and just knowing that it's going to come from God and not something changing? So I, I would say, yes, there's definitely, I need to lead in that. I need to be an example. Because I'm going to go back to, and I, guys, I believe this and I'll defend this and I'll arm wrestle you over this. There's two reasons why people don't change. They don't want to. They don't know how to change. Sometimes, I think there's well-intended people that really do love Jesus that just need to learn in a different way. Uh, this is what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to look like in your life. And, and I, I think that in a room this size, uh, I, I think to, to help somebody to understand what to expect in their own life because of the fruit of the Spirit, they, they might need to have it spoon-fed in a different manner than just reading it. And in some cases, they might just need to see it be exampled. So if you mean that, put me for a yes. I just went back the other 180 degrees. I, I need to be the example of the fruit of the Spirit. Because I, I believe anybody that comes to church and is reading their Bible and is desiring to grow in the disciplines wants to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. But I think we've, we've kind of made a mess of it in the church and what it looks like. And we've got ungodly leaders in churches, in the pulpits, that... From what I can see, I don't see the fruit of the Spirit. That's a horrible way to lead. I, I do need to lead by being that type of man. We need to lead by being that type of man. What time's the show over? In five minutes? More questions. Great. More questions. Yes. I'm going to try to answer your question. Here's the way I see it. First up, uh, when I was in business, I employed mostly non-believers. So I was very well aware that I was an outspoken Christian and therefore easily mocked if I did not look like a Christian. Uh, but as far as it comes to employees in, in dealing with Sometimes where you have to do the hard thing, like fire somebody. Uh, here's how I would put it. There's God's responsibilities, and there's man's responsibilities. But I think we get so confused of what responsibilities are. Uh, so even for us, I think sometimes responsibility of, of the Lord, we kind of want to take on for ourselves. And I think... Or in the business setting is helping somebody, you know, these were your responsibilities. They're reasonable responsibilities. We agreed on these responsibilities. And, and I would never hold somebody accountable to a responsibility of the Lord. 
I'll, I'll give you an example just in case somebody's, what's he's talking about. Um, we know that God is the one that saves sinners. That's God's responsibility. But we have the responsibility to be faithful in our pursuit of the Lord. Uh, we know that God is sovereign over all things. And I realize I need to be prayerfully desiring what the Lord, what the Lord's will is. I need to be thankful. So with an employee, it, it's having a firm understanding. Here, here are your responsibilities, and we agree that these are your responsibilities. You are capable of these responsibilities. I know most of the employees that I ever had to fire over the years, uh, unfortunately, was, was over theft. I, I, it's rare that it was uh, that it was over uh, job performance. There were a couple, but what really just pops out in my mind is just thieves. And uh, there is a responsibility that you know, even for a non-believer, you should be trustworthy. You should not steal from your employer. Uh, and so my, I would always deal with them with, you know, here are your responsibilities. Do you see where you have failed to meet your responsibilities? Because we've already agreed on what your responsibilities are. Does that help you, Kevin? Yeah. And, and I think it's just having a, a well-defined... Uh, I'll just tell a, a sweet story. God gave me Scott Maxwell, and this is a very sweet day. We were having a meeting, and I had... A, I had an employee that stole, it was about $2,000 worth of material from me. And I knew it was an inside job. And, and I deducted who it was. And so I, being the sleuth that I am, put out a, just kind of a, a formal way of talking to my employees. And I, the person that I thought was the last person I talked to, because I didn't want him to think that being the first person. And so the bottom line is... Um, don't judge me, it's just how it works. And, and so, come to find out, he stole it, he owned up to it, he was still terminated. And I, I Scott and I got together that day, and I, Scott, I don't know if you remember this, and I was just really sad, he was a good employee, I did not expect him to steal from me. And, and he goes, you know, Tom, he goes, there is a good, he goes, most likely, he didn't wake up that morning and say, how can I rip off my boss? It was just something that the opportunity presented itself and sin happened. And that was so good for Scott to tell me that because I was taking it so personally that he sinned against me. You know what? He blew it. He doesn't deserve to work here anymore. The trust has been broken. But you know what? Ultimately, he sinned against God. He didn't sin against Tom. But there's a sense of responsibility. You, you have a responsibility in your job that's been defined. You didn't do it. I hope that helped, Kevin. Guys, let me close in prayer and get you out of here. It, it was such a blessing to be with you. Thank you. Father, I do praise you for your goodness to us. Father, I just praise you, Lord, for how long-suffering you are. Lord, the reality 
that you first loved us. While we were still enemies, you loved us. Father, I, I praise you for that love. Father, I pray that we would just be examples of your love as we go home, whether it be to wife and kids, to roommates, whether we're going to work with fellow employees. Father, I, I pray, Lord, that we would be men that live a life that looks like we are willing quickly to die to self, to set aside our needs because of our love for others. Father, I pray for these men, Lord, as they continue to grow in their disciplines till, till the day they die, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just give them the grace to persevere. Father, I just thank you for this morning. And Father, I just thank you that we have your word that we could even have something to talk about when we come together. And I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.